We'll be looking specifically this evening at Psalm 40. Psalm 40. I would like to encourage you this evening. Can I do that? Do you, do you need encouraged this evening? I, I thought you might. Um, we all need to be encouraged from time to time, do we not? It's so easy uh, to get discouraged, especially as a Christian. I think about those who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and I think, how in the world do you live day to day with that much discouragement? No hope at all. And yet even those of us who have the hope of Jesus Christ still live and face with discouragement, do we not? I think the writer of this psalm, David, understood uh, the need to be encouraged. Would you agree King David needed to be encouraged from time to time? I look back and I, as I read the Old Testament, especially in 1st in and 2nd Psalms, where it talks specifically about the life of King David. And I think about when he was anointed king. Saul was still king at that time, you know? But David didn't automatically waltz up to the throne and go, All right, King Saul, my turn now. He waited until it was God's perfect timing for him to take on that position God had anointed him for. But in the meantime, Saul was trying to kill him, wasn't he? He was running for his life. You think that's discouraging? I would think so. Running for my life from the ruler of my nation? That's very discouraging. And, and beyond that, he's hiding. He's always in hiding, if you notice in 1 Samuel. No one can find him. Saul's spies are everywhere looking for David. But did you, have you ever noticed reading in, in 1 Psalms that out of nowhere, Jonathan waltzes into the camp and he encourages David in the Lord. And it's not too long after that, though. David's best friend, Jonathan, is killed in battle and David has no idea. And in the meantime, his hometown where he's been living and hiding has been sacked and every possession he had even his family was taken. And when he and his men get back and they realize it, his men want to kill him. David then encourages himself in the Lord. When you're discouraged, where do you turn for encouragement? Jonathan taught David to turn to the Lord. And when Jonathan wasn't there, David turned to the Lord. You see, we need to surround ourselves with people when we are discouraged they're going to point us to the Lord. When we tell them, woe is my life, everything is going against me in my life, they say, yes, but seek and look to the Lord. And when everything was going wrong in David's life, he turned to the Lord. Where do you turn? Look at what David writes in Psalm 40. I want you to look with me in verse 12. He says, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do you feel that way? Innumerable evils have compassed me about. You know, if you're brave enough sometimes in the morning to turn on the TV and to, and to, to watch the news, is that not what they tell us? Innumerable evils have compassed us about. The enemy is at the door. They're waiting. They're crouching, ready to pounce. And it, we get this weight, this fear and this discouragement placed on top of us that all around us and surrounding us are innumerable evils and there's no escape. David doesn't take it just that way. He doesn't just generalize 
Look at what he continues in verse 12. He says, Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Does your heart fail you? Does your heart fail you when you wake up in the morning? Let's be honest. Do you wake up sometimes in the morning and you just don't feel saved? You just don't feel like a child of God? Be honest. We all struggle with those discouragements in life, don't we? Whether it's the innumerable evils and the discouragement that we face, not just on a national level, but maybe it's more personal, on a family level. We face discouragements, fightings within our own family, strifes and disagreements within our own family. But David makes it so much more personal than that. David felt the weight of his own iniquities. He said it was like a weight upon his shoulder that was pushing him down Further, you look down in Psalm 38, just flip back a couple of Psalms. He says the same thing in Psalm 38 and verse 4. He says, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head as in heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And he said, my heart, it fails me. I don't feel like the anointed of God. I don't feel like the instrument that God has anointed me and put me in place to lead his people. And our hearts fail us. Because we feel the same way when we get discouraged. When our hearts fail us. When we gave in to to that temptation and we, we did what we knew we were not supposed to do. And we committed that sin. Because let's be honest. We still face temptation, do we not, in this sinful flesh? Just because we're saved doesn't mean that we're instantly holy and perfect until God takes us to heaven, right? No. We still battle with this sinful flesh. And we give in to temptation, don't we? And our heart fails us. And we wake up in the morning and we think, I'm useless, God. I'm worthless. Because we feel the weight of our own iniquities. David, he says it's like being pushed down. He says it's like being down in a horrible pit. And he cannot see a way out. Look at what he says at the beginning of this psalm. In verse 2 he says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay. David said, My personal iniquities were like being stuck in a pit. But not just any old pit. A pit with miry clay. Have you ever been stuck in the mud? No? you never been stuck in the mud before? Maybe you got your truck or your car stuck in a mud rut. What happens when you press the gas pedal? You just keep spinning, right? And what happens when you keep spinning? You keep digging it. And you can't get out. Have you ever been physically, as in your person, stuck in the mud? I have. Now, Cruz, you and I talked about this. And you say you have no recollection of this. So maybe I have put you there in my mind so that it is comforting to me in this story. But whether or not you were there is irrelevant. Because I do remember this happening. And that's this. We had this... uh, Beautiful property we lived on in Austin, Arkansas, you know, just down the road. And so it was two and a half acres, and next to this property ran this creek, didn't it, Cruz? And it was pretty deep on our side, wasn't it? That wall went up, what, a good 12 feet? And, and then when it would rain, it would swell, but the other side was lower on the wall, and so it would, it would swell and it would flood into the other side. And on the other side of the tree line was another field. Now, at my age... I didn't understand that that other field was being used as dirt excavation for construction further down the road in another subdivision. And so after a big rain, we got our rubber boots on, and and we crossed the shallow point, and we got past the tree line, and it was just a field of dreams, if I remember correctly, because it was just a, a field of mud. 
We had our rubber boots on. We just got to have us a good time. We was going to cross that field, get to the other side. And I remember making each step. And with each step, you sink a little bit lower. Until one step, I, I was stuck. I don't know if you were stuck there with me or if you decided that wasn't a great idea. I'm going back home. But I remember being stuck. That's what David says our sin is like. We get out there. We think we can cross over. We think we can make it to the other side. I can do this. I can continue living in this sinful lifestyle. And I'll make it to the other side. When in reality, you're stuck in your sin. In that horrible pit. Now, obviously I got out, right? I'm standing before you. What did you do? Well, when the reality set in that I was stuck, I began to cry out for help. But out there was no one to hear my cries for help. And I realized all I had to do was lose the boot. And once I pulled my leg out of the boot, I could pull the other one out. And I got back home. I remember being filthy, dirty, and ashamed. And I talked to Mom about it, and she said, It seems like I remember getting on to you for losing those, those expensive rubber boots in that field. They might still be there to this day, or maybe they dug them up and said, who lost their boots? But you know, there was no one out there to hear my cry. And I thought I got myself out of that field, but it just left me in a position of being dirty and cold because I had to cross the, wet, the, the creek in the cold back to the house where I ended up getting in trouble anyways. That's what sin does to us. As we think we can make it out on our own. But here's the encouragement for tonight. Is that those who know that they're stuck. Those who acknowledge that. And cry out to the Lord. Look at what David said in verse 1 of Psalm 40. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. That's encouraging, isn't it? To know that we're stuck. But when we cry out for help, he hears us. When David cried out for help, God didn't go, did you guys hear something? I thought I heard something. When David cried out for help, he said, God inclined his ear toward me, and he heard my cry. Having a newborn baby changes everything. We forgot after Eliza grew up and was four, four years old, she'll be five. And we forgot what it was like to have a newborn baby. But when they cry, our attention is directed towards them. We incline our ear and immediately our focus is on what they need. As soon as Vivian cries, my attention is on her. That's what our Savior does for us. When we cry out to Him, His attention is on us. He inclines His ear and He hears us. But listen... If that's not encouraging enough, it gets better. Look with me in verse 6. It says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. He says, Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. So God doesn't tell David, I hear you, buddy, but you got yourself in that situation, so you're going to have to get yourself out. No. And he also doesn't say to David, Listen, if you can make it halfway, I'll get you the other halfway. Have you ever heard that before? The Lord helps those who help themselves. 
right? Have you ever heard that? Not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. Because here David is writing and he says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. In other words, God required nothing of David to get him out of that pit. When David cried for help, God did all the work. He was the one that lifted him up. Look at what he says back in verse 2. He lifted me up. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on the rock. That is what Jesus has done for us. Amen? And that's encouraging. Whether you're lost tonight and you are realizing through the Holy Spirit that you are stuck in your sin and there's no way out of your own. Guess what? Jesus is here tonight. And he wants to help lift you up out of your sin because he's already done the saving work for you. He died in your place for your sin. But even after they buried him, he, they buried him in a borrowed tomb because he didn't need it that long. He rose three days later just as he promised he would. He rose victoriously. He conquered sin. He conquered death. You know, he walked in this filthy, muddy, sinful world, and yet he didn't come out being stuck in the mud. He didn't get any of the mud on him. Because he remained perfect. He remained holy and righteous and the son of God. And he willingly, for the joy that was said before him, went to the cross. Did he not? And now he offers us forgiveness of sin. So that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what happens? They shall be saved. Amen? And that's encouragement. But listen, it doesn't stop there. Whew, if the encouragement couldn't get any better, it doesn't stop. He doesn't just... Lift us up out of our sin. It says he established my goings. You see, by lifting us up out of our sin, David said, God showed me mercy. You know what mercy is? It's when God does not give you what you deserve. Here's what you and I deserve. To perish in our sin. And the wages of sin is death. And that death is not just physical death. It's spiritual death. And in Revelation, John writes about that spiritual death. He said, for anyone whose name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. And then another place it says that that lake of fire, it says the smoke of their torment riseth up forever and ever. That is what we deserve for our sin. But praise God, he is merciful towards us. Look at what he says. Psalm 40 again. Verse 11. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. But listen. That's not all he showed us. Because as he showed us his mercy, at the same time he gave us his grace. And grace is when he gives us what we do not deserve. We deserve to stay there. But by God's mercy he doesn't allow us to stay there. He takes us up out of that and he then gives us grace. He forgives our sin. He makes us righteousness and we're justified before the Father because of the blood of the Son. Amen? That's encouraging. That's news that you can wake up in the morning to regardless what your circumstances are. And for someone who's living on the mission field, that's encouragement to get up the next day. And say, God put me here for a purpose. 
and it's to share that message. Because here's the reality. David said, and he hath put a new song in my mouth. Because here's, here's the natural response to the child of God. Here's your natural response to what he's done for you. He puts a new song in your mouth. You're not singing the song of woe is me and my life. You're singing a new song of what he has done for you. And it's joy. Pure joy. I'm not talking about happiness. You, you may be happy right now. But happiness is a fleeting and momentary thing. You could be happy now and tomorrow lose it all. You could be happy now and, and get the call from the doctor you never wanted to hear. You could be happy now and tomorrow broke and lose it all. But if the one who puts joy into your heart is eternal, then your joy is eternal. Because it's not in your circumstances. It's found in what Jesus has already done for you. And your eternal destiny is secure in Him. Because listen, this is encouragement. This is what puts a new song in our mouth. Is regardless what happens to us here on this earth, the one who lived a perfect life that we could not, the one who died the death that we deserve. The one who was dead but now in Revelation says, I am alive. He's coming back for us. Amen. He said, and if I go, I'm going to do what? Prepare a place for you. He said, if it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not the father of lies. I'm your mediator. I'm your savior. And if I'm going away, I'm coming back for you. Because I want you to be where I am. And that's encouragement. That's what he wants for us. And that's that new song that he puts. Even praise, verse 3 continues, unto God. Now look at this. This is the challenge for us. Is I don't want you to just leave feeling good about yourself and feeling encouraged. I want you to be encouraged. But I want to challenge you with God's word. Because that's what God's word should do. It's cause us to repent of our sin and challenge us to walk closer with him. Look at what David said. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Do you have a new song in your mouth? Singing praises to God of how good God is. You know, the greatest witness that you and I have is not having memorized every verse in this word and being able to quote it to anybody that we come into contact with. The greatest witness that we have is telling people that, come, that we come into contact with how good God is and how He has been good to us. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with somebody who's saying, listen, I, I, I just want to tell you what Jesus did for me. I just want to sing his praises. It says, David says here, many shall see it and, and fear. In today's culture, in today's society, boy, it's strange when you meet somebody who acts that way. They stand out. And it makes people feel a little antsy and timid. Why, why, are, you act, why are you acting that way? Why are you so joyful? What, what do you have to be that joyful about? And they fear it. But look at what the result is. And shall trust in the Lord. 
This is, this is David's witnessing method here. He just sings God's praises everywhere he goes. This is what God did for me. And he wants to do it for you too. Look at what David continues. He doesn't stop there with that verse 3. That's not just his soul missions method there. And by the way, I do believe David uh, was a preacher, was a missionary. Look at what he said. He had a missionary's heart. He said in verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written, is within my heart. He says in verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. David couldn't keep his mouth shut. He had to tell people about what God had done for him. You know, it reminds me of a couple other guys in the New Testament. It reminds me of John and Peter. Do you remember John and Peter, the apostles in Acts? They're standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is saying, Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And you know what they respond to? We can't help it. We, we, we can't help but speak of the things of which we have seen and heard. Is that your testimony? Can, you just can't help speak of the things that you've seen God do for you, that you heard through His Word, that He has done for you. That's the new song David had in his mouth, and he wouldn't keep his mouth closed about it. He said, I've not, I've not refrained my lips. I've, I've, I've belted it as loud as I can. Everywhere I go, people know how good you are. Everywhere you go, do people know how good God is? Or do they know how hard your life and how much struggles you have. No, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that our struggles and the toughness that we go through in life don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. Because God knows He cares. We're going to get to that in just a second. What I'm saying is what He's done for you, Paul would later write in the book of Romans and he would say that, I believe it's in chapter 8, he would write and he would say that Everything that we face here on this earth is momentary. All the struggles that we face are nothing compared to the glory that we will receive in heaven. Now, Paul, who faced beatings, persecutions, slanderings, hunger, shipwrecks, you name it, he faced it all for the sake of the gospel. If he can sit there and say, it's all worth it. Because nothing in this life matters when you know what you're receiving in glory. Nothing in this life can compare. Not even the struggles that I face can compare to the glory that I'm going to see in heaven when I see my Savior face to face. Amen? That's encouraging. May we not be like Jonah. David said he knew of the loving kindness. He he knew of God's loving kindness. He didn't conceal it. He knew of God's faithfulness. He knew of God's righteousness. So did Jonah. And in fact, as he's sitting there at the hilltop, looking over the town and the city of Nineveh, waiting for its imminent destruction that was not going to happen because the Ninevites repented. They heard Jonah's reluctant message and they repented and they turned to God and God relented of his destruction towards them and God asked Jonah, why are you angry? And Jonah says, I knew 
of your mercifulness. I knew of your loving kindness. I knew that if they repented, you would forgive them. May we not be that way, brothers and sisters. We know of the faithfulness and the loving kindness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, because we know that, we refuse to tell those who need to hear it the most. Not knowing that the ones that we think that if we were to share the gospel to would persecute us, would push us down, would make us feel any less than who we are, are probably the very ones who will hear it, repent, and turn to Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we've prejudged them before we've even opened our mouth and declared God's righteousness to them. Amen? Isn't that truth? Because I know I'm guilty of it myself. May we not be that way. Let's be like David, who had that new song in his heart and he couldn't keep it closed. But listen, maybe if none of that was encouraging to you, look at what David writes, very, very end of this message. He says in verse 17, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Nothing I've said is encouraging enough to you. Maybe that will encourage you. Think about that with me. We believe in God, right? Do you believe He is a real person? I know that sounds like a silly question. But have you thought about God? That He is a personal God. He's not this faraway being. Who? He's up there. We're down here. He doesn't communicate with us. We don't communicate with Him. He's a real person. And David said, He thinks about you. When's the last time you dwelt upon the fact that the Creator of the universe, the one who spoke and light existed, the one who spoke and animals began running across the plains of the earth, the one who spoke and there was sea creatures, the one who knelt down and in the dust of the earth began forming man and into his nostrils he breathed the breath of life, thinks about you. That's encouraging that we can wake up in the morning and our first thought can be this, God is thinking about me. He loves me. He loves me so much. He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die for me. And He demonstrated His love in that while I was yet a sinner, did, I was a rebel. I hated God. But He loved me in spite of that. And Jesus still died for me. Listen, that's encouraging. That we can go out and we can live for the Lord, the one who gave everything for us so that we could have a personal relationship with him. All other religions in this world are trying to make their way to God. Have you thought about that? If I just do enough good, if I just do this, I can earn a, a, a right, a place to stand before God. Even, even the Romanian people, that's what they're trying to do. With their orthodox religion. They, they have this book. And there's no difference between what they have and what we have. And yet they're trying. Because they think that God does not care about them. God does not think about them. And in their efforts to climb up to the heights of the heavens. To make it to God. They missed where he came down 
from glory in heaven to be with them. Amen? And that's encouraging. So as we prepare for our time of invitation, I want to leave you all with that encouragement. I want to say thank you for your prayers. I want to say thank you for your support. But I want to leave you challenged and I want to leave you encouraged. So no matter what happens from this point forward, you will find your encouragement in the Lord who thinks upon you. Amen? Let's pray.